hearts. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. How do we go from milk to meat is what we're going to talk about today and get a bigger appetite for Jesus Christ. You know, as a young father, I have a three-year-old, and uh, we are at that stage where we're trying to get her to try more and more things as food. Uh, But here lately, especially this week, my wife and I have been trying to get her to try a few different things, and we give her something she's never tasted before, and she says, no, I don't like that. And we're like, but Ari, you've never had it before, so you don't know if you like it or not. Why don't you try it? She's like, no, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. Parents, you agree with me? Okay, been there, done that, right? Uh, And so, but finally, maybe after much convincing, she tastes it, and then she realizes she likes it, and, and she develops that new appetite for it. You know, I think the same is true for a growing believer. Sometimes God is going to put things in our lives that we may not think we're going to like. That trial, that test of faith, that other person, or he's going to call you to give certain things or do certain things. And we're going to say, God, no, I don't like that. I don't want to do that, God. No, no, that's not for me. We're going to just try the next thing. Let's go back to where we, what I was been doing. Uh, and I think if we would just take a step of faith as growing believers to take in the things that God has called us that He's speaking into our lives, that He's telling us to do, we'll find His will for our life is good, pleasing, and perfect. That when we taste and see what God has for us, it is good. It may be scary. It may be unusual. It may be something you've never done before. But if you just take it in, just like that, we often find out, you know what, God, you did know what you were talking about all the time, right? Anybody with me this morning? Somebody say amen. So how is your appetite for Christ today? Are you growing in the maturity of the Word and the knowledge of God? Uh, I want us to think about today, what do we think about the Word of God? What do we uh, do with it? How do we uh, take it in and how do we go from there? And just like that little child that needs to take in that Word and, and try new things and let God grow in them, because if we don't try that, if, we, if Ari doesn't ever eat anything but uh, macaroni and cheese and the occasional chicken nugget, she's probably not going to be very healthy as an adult, right? Uh, but same is true for us. We've got to take in more and more of God to be healthier and healthier as believers. So again, how's your appetite? Are you growing in the knowledge of God? And here's the question I want you to ask yourself with me today. I'm asking myself this. Do I believe the Bible is the Word of God? And if so, what am I going to do about it? Is this literally God's Word, spoken from Him through man to us, and do I receive it as such? And if it is, and if He says turn the other cheek, and if He says give it all away, and there will be treasures for you in heaven, if He does say go the extra mile, if He does say labor in my vineyard, if He does say it, What am I going to do about it? Because is it really, do I really, really believe God is speaking to me? Is this the Word of God? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. You know, know, I, I have a bunch of Bibles. My office is filled with them. But I knew a young believer one time that put his Bible in the back of his pickup truck. And I was like, no, 
don't do that. You know, like there's just something about my Bible being on the floor that it bothers me. And I know it's just pages. It's just a book. I have more. But it's something to this. This is the Word of God. Amen? And I want to just talk to you about the witness of the Word today because I want you to ask yourself, do I believe this is the Word of God? Because today the Bible is one book, but it's made of 66 books. It's written by 40 different authors in three different languages from three different continents across 13 different countries over the span of over 1,600 years. Yet it all is together. The authors vary from kings to peasants, from fishermen to statesmen, to scholars and poets. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and all their works form one single beautiful story of redemption from beginning to end. Tell me how that's possible today. Think of it this way. Their stories that they writ, those 66 books and those 40 different authors over 1,600 years in 1,300 different countries on three continents and three languages, all of it together is theologically, doctrinally, morally, ethically, scientifically, historically together. Tell me that's not something. Not only that, but the Old Testament from the founding of the Jewish people, we see God's interaction with man was secured from first-hand accounts from Moses to David and the prophets. It was then attested by the second. It was collected by Jewish scribes over hundreds of years and then bound together by Ezra 450 years before Christ. Then comes Jesus in the New Testament. Get this. Jesus comes. He fulfills 300 prophecies or more of the Old Testament prophets. And from his birth to childhood to death to crucifixion to resurrection, all of it together fulfilled is almost astronomically impossible that one man would ever do that at one time. All that together, we see that uh, all of his works were attested by the first-hand accounts. 500 people even attest to his resurrection in multiple eyewitness accounts, multiple gospel accounts of the same story. Historians tell you today that if they have multiple accounts of the same story, the historical works of an ancient text, if they see multiple stories, it proves that that text is valid. Ask any historian that is reputable. If they find some random book that's ancient and they find four or three or more stories of the same story in different places, in different locations, it proves the story's validity. We've got four Gospels telling the same story. Not only that, such was the impact of Jesus' words. Within the first hundred years, they are propagated across the known world at a record-level pace. Even beyond that, many miracles were attested. His closest followers were so... uh, uh, found this so to be true, the Word of God, that they were martyred for the truth that they heard about. Tell me they didn't believe it. Tell me it wasn't true. Not only that, the early church, we find more manuscripts of the New Testament than any other piece of ancient literature in the known world. Did you know that? There are more manuscripts of the New Testament that prove its validity, all of which are 98% identical to the original manuscripts. Not only that, but by 200 A.D., the apostles' writings were in almost every church in the known world. 397 A.D., these 27 books were confirmed as a New Testament. And by uh, over 300 bishops, each of them universally agreeing that all 27 books were authentic. They were complete in unity with all of Scripture. They had apostolic authority and they would withstand the test of time. This is the Word of God. I don't care what history or secular movements or governments will tell you today. This word delivers addicts. It restores families. It converts the vilest, most hateful men into lovers of brothers. It gives hope to the hopeless, light to those lost in darkness, heals broken bodies, casts out demons, and it raises the dead. Amen? 
It's no wonder the Bible is the most published and translated book in the known world, which thousands upon thousands have died to see its pages propagated in the known world. Tell me it's not true. Tell me it's just another book. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will no by means pass away. Do I believe the Bible is the word of God? And if so, what am I going to do about it? Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. And how do I trust it today? How do I lean on it? Not on my own understanding. How do I, in all my ways, acknowledge His ways? And how has my path been made straight? Because this is the Word of God. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. There's a problem today that the, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing about. It's very applicable to us. He was writing to second-generation Christians who believed the testimony of Jesus Christ. These guys had to survive some persecution, but they were at risk of drifting away, just like the American church, I believe, today. We've heard it for generations. Many of our parents maybe raised us in church, but many today are not following the truth that they heard from first-generation Christians, from their family or their grandma, their grandpa, their mom or dad. And they were failing to move forward in some spiritual maturity. And they were questioning this doctrine of Jesus Christ, who He was and what He did and what's true about Him. You know, some had learned the basics of faith, but they were still struggling with them. So they're struggling over those basics. But some were doubting the Word of God and going back to a work of uh, religion, uh, religious works, going back to that Judaism-type uh, faith where I have to earn my way to heaven, that Jesus really give everything that we needed and that we don't have to uh, trust on any works of our own. And so that's where we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going to read from the New American Standard today, and we're going to go to chapter 6, verse 3. So concerning him, Christ, we've had much to say. And it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice has their senses trained to discern good and evil. Notice notice there, because of practice has their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, but of instruction about washing of hands and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do. If God permits, it's kind of like this. After years of being in the church, after years of being in the church, it's like a child. Sometimes we as Christians, we're stuck trying to simply live out the simple things again. God, I'm still working to understand salvation. I'm still uh, feeling like I need to get saved every week. God, I'm still struggling with these uh, habitual sins in my life. God, I'm still uh, I'm in with you, God. I'm out with you, God. I'm in with you, God. I'm out with you, God. And many Christians are on this cycle, and some of us, even those who've been in church for 30 years or more, or grew up in church, we still have these hang-ups, or maybe this lack of knowledge about who God is, what He can do in my life, and how I can have victory, and how I can live more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and how I can have faith in all trials and circumstances. We, we yet to really attain the things that God is trying to get us. It's like we're in the third grade and keep 
failing and keep trying to take that third grade test over and over again. And I know this firsthand for me in my life that there was sin in my life that I remember God speaking to me one day on and saying, Heath, you're failing to pass the test I'm giving you, but once you pass this test, you'll get to go to the next grade. And guess what? There'll be another test. And it's like that with God. If we never pass the second grade test, that end of the year test, you don't get to go to third grade. And it's every time we uh, have these faith tests in our life, what are we saying? God, do I trust your word? Do I believe it's good for me? And he says to them, by now, you've been at this so long, you should have graduated. You should have graduated and now be able to be a teacher yourself, but you're still stuck in third grade. So what's going on here? What's going on here? We're going to talk about the milk and the meat and moving forward just real quick this morning. What is that milk? He says the milk is this foundational principle of God's word. It's simply this. It's what Jesus did on the earth. It's his uh, birth. It's his life. It's his death, his resurrection, his second coming. It's what he did for us, that gospel, that good news that now there is repentance uh, so he tells us these things, repentance and faith and baptism, laying on our hands of resurrection. Repentance is that simply that I turn from my dead works and I turn to him, that I'm justified by faith. That's a key foundational principle of the gospel, that there are no works of righteousness that you can do. It's only the work of Jesus Christ. He's good enough. It's not a work of holiness that you can do. Only God can give you holiness, right? That's the repentance part. There's faith. It means just like Abraham trusted God to believe and walk by faith and not by sight. Abraham inherited the promise that you and I today will inherit the promise of eternal life by faith alone. But that faith put, should be moving you towards that promise. And that's faith. And then we've got baptism, meaning that we make an outward profession of an inward chain, that we die with Christ. And that it's a born-again experience. It's not a church membership It's not what the pastor says over you when he dunks you. It's not what church membership you're affiliated with. It is simply, are you born again? Have you been filled with the Spirit from within? Has He washed your sins away? Are you dead with Christ? Laying on of hands, we foundational principle is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the consecration for service, the setting of ourselves apart, and that God would call us into ministry. Every one of you is a minister of Jesus Christ, called by God, equipped by the Holy Spirit, a priesthood of believers, the Bible says. And then there was a resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there was no Christ. It is the resurrection that is the foundation of our new life. It's, if, if He wasn't rose from the dead, we won't be risen from the dead either. So we believe in these things. This is the gospel. And He says, you guys, what's going on? How come you can't tell this to other people yet? How many Christians today can communicate the doctrine of the gospel? What is the gospel? What does it mean? Can you tell me the story of Jesus? Can you uh, quote me some scripture? You know, the Mormons spend two years for ministry. The, the Jews have to make their young kids memorize the first five books of the Bible by 13. The Muslims memorize their Quran. Yet, here we are in the American church. Some of us grew up in church and can't tell the story of Noah or Jonah, you know? And so he's challenging even us today. Peter says it this way, that the, that the milk is the pure word. But it says that word is so that you will grow in respect to salvation. Who is it for? The milk, this gospel, is for new believers. It's for baby Christians. And so 
it's really what he's saying is that week after week, I'm having to tell you guys the basics over and over again. But we're, it's time to move on to deeper things. And baby Christians, those new Christians, those are the ones uh, that, that this is for. And, and let me tell you something. Being a new Christian or a baby Christian or a young Christian, it doesn't matter how many years you're on the pew. Spiritual growth is not about your age or how the length of time you've been in a church because it's like that 30-year-old guy who's still at home playing Nintendo in his mom's basement. Uh, he may be 30 years old, but that might not be his life stage, right? And so you could be 60 years old in church for 30 years and still be an immature infant of a Christian. Because what is he saying? This is who, let me give you a picture of who the milk is for, these infant Christians. He says, uh, you think of it this way, a baby will put anything into its mouth. So a baby believer is someone that might easily fall to some doctrines. Maybe those things they're listening to the radio or that TV preacher. They're watching YouTube and getting their doctrine off of YouTube. Lord, help you. Don't, don't watch YouTube to learn anything about the Bible, okay? There's some great mu- music videos on there, but I, uh, I caution you. Uh, or books. There's a lot of great books out there, but how do you know if it's true? Is it backed by the Word of God? There's a lot of false doctrine in America today, let me tell you. A lot of false doctrine. A lot of Christian mysticism. Baby Christians may not know what's in Scripture or what is not. They need that older Christian to pour into them. Uh, we can be easily distracted from the Word by worldly, that childish thinking. That, that flesh can come back up. And baby Christians often struggle with going back to the things that they used to think and back to the things they used to know. They may not always make the best moral judgments. They may lack discernment or wisdom as they're growing. None of this is bad. This is just part of the growth process. I help my daughter every day not to fall off the table. I mean, I don't have that problem anymore. I don't climb on the kitchen counter. I just got over it, you know. There's no need for me to stand on the kitchen counter anymore. I just lost that desire, okay? But sometimes, as young believers, we're excited. There's things going on. And so they, it's okay. I'm not, if you're a young Christian today, I am excited for you. That's a great thing, and it's fun to learn. It's fun to make mistakes. It's going to happen, but God's going to see you through. You're still saved. Just keep on going. Amen? Those of you who are older believers. But we who've been in Christ for some time need to know, and young believer, you need to know, don't stop growing. Graduates who just graduated this week, don't stop growing in the Word. It doesn't end there. Just because we get a diploma in high school, keep growing, keep learning. Same is true for you, young believers, those who've even been in church for some time. If you don't know the word, read it. There's, a, there's one right there. Uh, in infancy, an infant who is a Christian uh, is normally a, a person who's focusing all on me and my needs. Uh, when you're a child, my life is now devoted to caring for my two daughters, about to be here in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, and so that it's all about them. It's all about them. Their life is all about them. Christian, if your life is all about you, if you come to church for your own problems, you're an infant Christian. If you live your life and you never serve in the local church or you rarely give, you're an infant Christian. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell you like it is today. Can I do that? Just unfiltered? Okay? Because you need to know where you are because I want you to know where you can go. All right? It's not a judgment thing. I just want you to know there's more exciting things to learn. There's more exciting things to do. And so if it's all about you, you've got some growth to do. If you're constantly falling to problems in your life, if you continually are in and out of church, you've got more growth to do. And so that baby's milk, though, is high in nutrients. It's meant to produce rapid growth. Babies 
grow at exponential rates. They learn at exponential rates. And that's why older saints, it's okay to look back and see those new believers who are excited. They're just taking it all in and they can't get enough. We should remember that. They're growing at an exponential rate. And so we continue to grow on the milk, the pure word of God. But here's the thing. What happens if a baby stops growing? There's a problem there, right? What happens if that baby stops growing? It's the same way. Christian, listen to me today. You may begin with the milk and you got the gospel. But don't go to church every week just to hear the pastor preach the gospel again. That's not what this is about. It's not about coming to church to get a hoopla shout in the moment, make me feel good about who Jesus is, and, and then stay there the rest of your Christian adult life. That is not God's design for you. That is, that is staying where you are. God has got some deeper revelation, some awesome truth, some faith leaps, some supernatural works, some miracles to do in your life. He has got something exciting for you. Keep growing. And so the author says, really, there's a difference like this. Think of it this way. When we get saved, we get the ABCs. It's a childlike faith, the Bible says. But there's a difference between childlikeness and childishness. Can I get an amen? There's a difference between being like a child in faith, but being childish. And I think sometimes we as American Christians need to understand we're not called to be childish. We're called to be childlike. Amen? And so he's saying this, you ought to be teachers. So let's press on to maturity. Have you grasped the importance of Christ? We've been going through this series about Christ, our high priest, and who he, who he says he is and what he did. Those are the things that this author is trying to teach us today. And we're going to go into deeper things in the coming weeks. And even t- today, before we leave, we're going to take communion. And we're going to hear some awesome truth, some deep things that God wants to tell you today. And so he's saying, have we learned the importance of Christ, his what He's done, who He is. Do you understand justification by faith, living in the Spirit? Are you doing the Great Commission? If we're not engaging in the Great Commission, we're still infant Christians. If we're not giving, if we're not serving, if we're not evangelizing, we're still focusing on the milk. But what does it mean to go to the meat? Let's talk about the meat for a second. What is the meat? If the milk is the things that Jesus did while on earth, the meat is the things that Jesus Christ is doing in heaven now and will do in the future. There's a lot of things that Jesus isn't done with yet. He's finished the gospel part. He's done what he's done, saved by grace uh, through your faith. But yet he's still coming back. Right now he's interceding at the Father. He's still doing things in the world. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit is building churches. The Spirit is speaking words. The Spirit is growing believers. There's a lot of things still happening that this story is still being played out. The world today. These are the end times. God is still doing things, calling evangelists and missionaries to reach the known world, that God is still speaking today, and Christ is still going to come back and fulfill the whole book of Revelation. And so there's still some stuff that we as mature saints have got to dig into. So there's some unfinished work still for us to learn about. And who is it for, this meat? It's for those of us like this. Maybe you find yourself in this category. Hear, Hear me out. Maturing in the Word of God. Some people with some spiritual teeth today. That's what I'm preaching to. I want you to get some spiritual teeth today, not dentures. Some real spiritual teeth, all right? So who are getting their spiritual exercise today by applying the Word of God daily? That every day, I'm trying to figure out, did I apply the Word today? Those who are focusing on the meat, there are those who are growing stronger in a steadfast faith. They're leaving the dead works of sin behind, the dead works of their own religious uh, holiness, and they're saying, God, I'm trusting your works. 
Those that are eating on the meat are trusting God for salvation. They're learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. They're growing in discernment. They're learning how to uh, make godly and wise decisions. They're not caught up in the things of their youth anymore. They're being equipped to good works. They're living a life that's pleasing to God, walking in holiness. And those who are on the meat, get this, are teaching other people. This is the key. Those who are on the meat are giving the milk to other people. This is the key. It could be your grandchildren, your children. It could be your neighbor. It could be someone in the church. It could be our kids' ministry, our youth ministry. It could be ministering to some way here in the local assembly or in the community. But those who are focusing on maturity are teaching other people. They're serving the local church. They're giving to missions, and they're sharing the gospel with their neighbors. Those are the mature saints of God. And so let's self-check today. Have I put away sin in my life? Self-check. Have I accepted spiritual correction? Is it, if I'm not a person who can accept spiritual correction, if a teenager doesn't want to, they want to mouth back off when mom and dad tell them, don't do this or you're not going to do this, a teenage Christian is going to do the same when the pastor calls something out in their life or their small group leader calls something out in their life or a spiritual elder says, hey, let me tell you something, that's not wise, that's not of God. And they mouth off back, that's a spiritual teenager right there, Amen. And so maybe you know some of those, or maybe you have some in your family, or maybe you are one. But it's called to growth, okay? We should be able to accept spiritual correction and discipline. We should be able to communicate the doctrine of Christianity and what Christ did for us. We should be able to. We should have a reputation of wisdom and love, and we should be serving others. And those are the milk and the meat. But the real point of today is moving forward, and that's this. How do I figure out, one, where, you are, where I am? So how do you know where you are? Okay, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I'm a spiritual infant or a teenager. Or I'm mature. Maybe I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, and maybe today you don't want to know. That, but the challenge is, are you moving forward? It goes from milk to meat. In college, uh, on campus, there were these people that we used to call professional students, Okay. And these are those graduate students on the campus. We, I went to a campus of about 30,000 30, 30, people. But in that 30,000 people, and I was there for four years, uh, you would see the same people over and over again. It's like they never graduated. These, these 30-year-old guys with beards, you know, and kind of sh- shagged-looking people, and they're grad students, and they're just always there. They're always there. And they say, well, those are the professional students. And what does that mean? They are those people that are living on that debt. You know, they get the student loans, the grants. They get the Starbucks every day. They wake up at 10 in the morning. They go to their late class. They can't decide what they want to be. And they're just taking one degree to the next degree to the next degree. And they don't ever want to leave. And why would you? Everything's free. You've got, you know, this full course buffet for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You ain't got to mow your yard. You don't have to clean your house. You're living in a college dorm room. You can wake, stay up as late as you want. Nobody's there. No responsibilities. You ain't got to pay taxes yet because you're not working. And all this money is there in the bank. You get a lump sum at the very beginning of each semester. Why would you ever want to leave that, right? They're professional students. That sounds pretty good to me, right? That's just professional student. I like that career. For some of us, that's the way Christianity is. I come into church, I learn, I learn, I learn, I take in, I take in, I take in, but I never graduate. Why? Because it's comfortable. It's comfortable. The pastor will take care of me. People will check in on me when I leave. If I miss a few weeks, I'll get a call or a letter in the mail. 
but, but I never graduate. I never become a teacher. I'm always a student. It's always about me. And I never take those faith leaps where God says, I'm calling you to give it all. I'm calling you to graduate and take a leap of faith, and I'm calling you to world missions. Who's to say God couldn't call 10 people out of this congregation to world missions? Is it because we all live in Gina and we're settled here and this is where our family lives? No, no, no. God can do anything he wants to do if you're willing to take a leap of faith. If you're willing to take a leap of faith, that is. Who says that God's calling for your life is to stay here and retire and raise your grandkids? What if God called? I know some 60-year-old people today who are on the mission field, left their grandkids, are working in a Christian coffee house uh, in India, missing Christmases, and new grandkids being born because at, in their 50s they answered the call, both wife and husband, to go to missions. Tell me God doesn't still call people. doesn't matter who you are, where you are, if you're willing if you're willing to grow, if you're willing to grow. I had, there was a college professor uh, who told uh, the story that there was a college professor uh, who was talking to his grad students, and they were in class, this large class, and they would begin to ask questions. He wanted this interaction and dialogue, and there was these students who never uh, answered anything or never contributed to the conversation. You know what that professor did? He called them out to stand up, and he said, you're, you're done. You're failed. You don't contribute. You're like a moldy sponge. You take it all in, but you never contribute to the discussion in this class. Get out of my classroom. Pretty serious stuff, right? I was like, ooh, God didn't take that class because I'm shy, right? But maybe sometimes as Christians, it's the same way. Are we that moldy sponge where it's always taking in the calls from other people, always taking in the, the gospel and always taking in, but never giving it out? And so what happens is that sponge begins to get all that water in. It just sits there. And it sits there and takes more in, takes more in. And what happens? That's that sponge on the sink you throw away. It is. It begins to stink. It begins to smell. It begins to turn colors. And so Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Saints, if we, we are to grow up into the fullness of Christ, God has plans for you to grow. I want my daughter to stay three years old as long as possible because I love this toddler age. But I love her enough to keep her growing. I want her to grow up to be a mighty woman of God. Right? Parents, you want your kids to grow and mature and to learn. And so why, why don't we move forward? Or how do we move forward? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says it this way. The word of God was preached to Israel. All right, follow me this morning. The word of God was preached to Israel. The gospel was given to Israel in the wilderness by God himself. In the same way, it's been given to you through Jesus Christ. But here's the difference. The word that Israel heard, it did not profit them because it was not united or mixed with faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing in Romans chapter 10, right? Hearing the word of God. So if you've been hearing the word of God, but you're not taking leaps of faith, who's got the problem? The word or my ears, right? He says that their hearing did not happen with faith. And so if we keep hearing the Word of God Sunday after Sunday, Wednesdays in small groups, what is it producing in our life? Is it growing us? Is it moving me forward? And not only that, but am I taking it in on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Are the sermons I hear dull and without life change? Is it the pastor's fault or is it my ears? Has the words in Scripture just become more words? Is it the word's fault or is it my ears' fault? Uh, do I believe this is the very word of God? And I love what Thessalonians says in chapter 1, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 13. 
1 Thessalonians, Paul says, For this reason I constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from me, you accepted it not as the word of men, but, what it, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Get that last part. They did, the great thing Paul praised them for, he says, when you heard those words, and Paul says, man, I'm not a great preacher, I'm not a great orator, but when you heard it, you took it in as if God himself was speaking these words off the page or off of what Paul had written down in his heart and was speaking it to them. And they received it, and he says, this is the work that does something in you. This is the work for when you believe it, it actually produces something in you. So let me tell you this, if there's not been faith leaps in your life in the last weeks or months or years, Maybe you haven't been listening to God. Man, it's quiet today. Maybe that's the problem today in the American church. We hear so much of God. You can get on a podcast every day. This week I drove to Monroe and I listened to like four podcasts of preachers preaching on the way there and on the way back. But what is good is that if I never graduate it, if I never apply it and become a lifelong learner. So what is the Word of God producing in you today? What power is evident in you? And do I read this word on a regular basis and apply it to my life? Because there's moving forward, but there's also moving backwards. And know this, it's impossible to stand still in the Christian life. It's so impossible to stand still in the Christian life. Hebrews, look at chapter 6, verse 4 with me real quick. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift... And they've been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the good word of God and powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. He says it earlier in chapter 2, verse 3 to say, How shall we escape then if we neglect so great a salvation? What is he saying here today? He's speaking to those Christians that have truly been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, But what happened in their life is they drifted, and they're still saved. Then their life and their ears got dull to the Word of God. They're still saved. They're dull, but they're still saved. I know some dull Christians in my life, and there's some dull. But then there came a moment like Samson and Delilah where there was a defining marker. They may not even know it happened, and their soul entered into the place of damnation. And he's saying hypothetically here, how how can we even think about doing this? when we know what Jesus Christ has done for us? How can we even comprehend leaving this once we've heard it? But He's warning you to say, for a while, you might drift. And then for a little while, you might get dull and get by. You might hear the pastor preach and you may never respond to the altar. You may go to church and it may be all about you for a while. But there may come a day, if you're not careful, if you're not cautious to keep moving forward, that heaven forbid you would spit the milk out of your mouth. And he says it's kind of like this. It's those who keep taking in the word of God, in verse 7 and 8, but never yield good fruit. Instead, they take in the word of God and they yield works of the flesh, works of the devil, and works of this world. That their life, they, keep, can, they can go to church and go to church and take it in and believe and they've known and they've been to that altar and they confess Jesus and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet their life never produces anything but worldly things and earthly things and evil things. And he says, for them who've really known and really left, what hope is there for them? And it's a holy fear he's challenging us to put into our hearts today, not that this is what's happening to you or to me, 
But he's saying, but those who put their fleshly appetite on this world, those who set their mind on earthly things, they will be found worthless, cut away, and thrown into the burning lake of fire. And they had once tasted of God. There will be some that follow that sin like the devil, that that he knew God, saw him, experienced him, and yet turned away, never to turn back again. Now, I believe you can go backslide. I believe you can come back from God. I, I, I believe there is that, that grace that until you breathe your last breath, God can take you back. But what he's speaking about here, he's saying this. And I've, told, I've heard of Christians say it this way. Well, I can always come back, right? I can always come back. I can always make the decision. Oh, can you? Because when sin really corrupts your mind, how do you know? Because you're not in control. It can take you to a place where you'll never come back again. And that's what he's saying so, is so fearful about sin. When you let it creep in your life and you let it take over, when it has ownership of you, you lose control and you may never come back again. So saints, wake up. That's what he's saying. Taste God and stick with Him. Move forward. Because think of it, saint, those of you who are saved today, what if you had died when you were not living for God? That's a holy, fearful thing. That's what he's wanting to remind us of. What if you had died when you were living for sin? You don't know. You could have, but God's grace saved you. God's grace gave you another chance. But we don't know if you're going to get another chance if you leave him. You don't know that. You can drift away and choose those bad decisions and choose to leave your family and choose to follow into the fleshly desires of this world. But you don't know if the devil is going to have a hold of you and that car could come take you and hit you in that red light. Or you don't know if the, your, your body could give out. And you don't know where you will be when he calls you. So press forward. That's the call. That's the answer. Taste and see that the Lord is not good. And he, he ends it this way in chapter 6, verse 11. I'm going to ask our ushers to come for communion this morning. And he says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to realize the full assurance of hope until the very end that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who faith and patience will inherit the promise. Let me say it this way. God is not trying to condemn you today. He's trying to grow you. He's trying to save you. And God is not in the business of trying to send you to hell, but He's saying, you can trust me. And so why not let's make this spiritual progress that God says, I made you perfect in Christ and I'm going to keep making you perfect if you keep believing in me. Let's not go back to our sinful lives, but let's open our ears and say, God, I'm going to take of the milk and I'm going to grow into the meat and taste and see that the Lord is good today. Amen?